Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Do you think you've maximised the earning potential of your channel? No. I bloody hope not. You've built an incredible channel, but I'm sure there's a lot more behind the scenes that we're going to find out about. Now and again, I go, should I just buy something ludicrous? On credit, just spunk it out onto my channel and see what happens. As an experiment, and I nearly do it, and then I don't. Would you always finish what you started? A good question. I like your questions. They're good. Uh, what was the question? Shit. Cars. Oh, yeah, cars. Just cars. Um, cars. I got called into work and got made redundant. I was completely uh, distraught. I mean, my sort of world imploded. Which is that there was a bit of fire, I, I have to admit. And I did steal my desk. Really. I also filled the lift with pornography and spray mail. That's another story. <laughs> Johnny, welcome to the podcast. You're someone that I wanted to get on right from the very beginning of starting Road to Success. So I'm very happy that we're here today. Thank you. Well, thanks for your patience. And uh, like many of my guests, you are a man of YouTube. You've built an incredible channel, but I'm sure there's a lot more behind the scenes that we're going to find out about you today and different things that you've done. But I love watching your channel because of its unique makeup of content. I said when I first uh, got here that there's not many people and not many people within the YouTube space that I sit down with that make such a success out of making so much unique content and having the different series because of how YouTube just likes to hone down. Yeah. But before I tell everybody about you, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm Johnny Smith. I guess I was a motoring journalist by trade. I've become a presenter and content creator now. And I guess my business is cars and my hobby is also cars for my sins. And I've been in the game now 20, I think it's 26 years, which is quite terrifying. So when you yeah. think about being passionate about something for that length of time, and gaining that much experience about something over that length of time. What I want to know is, where did that passion come from? If you were to think back, and let's say your early years, your earliest memories, maybe even pre-12 years old, and you were to go, that 
that right there in hindsight was the moment that projected me on the path that I'm on now. Gosh. Can you remember something? I think it was a combination of a really... I'm, I enjoyed reading magazines more than books. And I always enjoyed watching Out for Cars in films. And I also really enjoyed TV adverts. Whereas most people want to flip past the TV adverts or mute the TV, as my nanny used to do, because she couldn't stand them. I really liked watching adverts. I really liked seeing how they were put together, the creativity behind the idea, like what you're trying to sell and how you go about selling it. And I think all of that stuff, and also radio-controlled cars, Tamiya specifically, building your, your little cars and learning how to drive them. All of that stuff knitted itself together with um, me knowing that at school I was good at English and I was quite arty, but I was terrible at maths. And science was sort of enjoyable, but quite challenging. So I, th I, I thought to myself, I want to try and do a job involving maybe the advertising industry, um, cars if I can, English. And I guess I loved magazines, so I thought the written word was a good thing. And of course, magazines were really big then. The internet didn't exist. So, and social media sure as hell didn't. So I think that's how I got into this. I, I got my first gig when I was at university um, as a staff writer on a small niche car mag and quit my degree and chased the dream. And that was 1998, basically. So were you a confident kid were you loud or were you shy quite quietly spoken sort of knit, knitting into your own area what what were you like when you were younger i as a kid it's a good question though. i like your questions they're good um i was a kid that used to try and make others laugh so i i didn't really get bullied because i could make the bully laugh and then they'd forget why they were trying to pin me against a wall and do me over so i i, I used to try and be quite funny and quite witty and ob always observe oddities and stuff and I was pretty confident I suppose I was I was confident about being quirky I liked to tread my own path so I wasn't really bothered about following what other people were doing if I if I was if I knew that I wanted to go that way I would just do that and I'm still kind of like that which is a blessing and a curse really and um so yeah and at school I, I enjoyed school actually um, I enjoyed school. I, yeah, I didn't really, I wasn't sporty though. So I would think I was more arty and crafty. I don't mean like a fox. I mean like, you know, arts and crafts. And I've always been more like that really. Sport, all the sport that we did at school was the stuff I didn't want to do. And all the stuff I wanted to do, they wouldn't let us do. I said this to my kids the other day. I said, you're bloody lucky. You can do way more sports than we could. If you're a boy at my school, it was rugby, football, possibly cricket, and nothing else. Nothing. Never. Even, I've never played hockey. They wouldn't let me play basketball, which is my favourite sport, and tennis, if you're lucky, on a couple of hot summer's days. I'm like, that was it. This is not even a sport podcast. I don't even know why I'm saying this. This is completely But pointless. then where, where does that creativity come from? Where does the creative flair come from? What was your makeup of siblings, mother, father? What did they do? Because to be somebody that can, as you said, lead your own path, go off in your own direction, yeah, that requires a lot of self confidence. Requires a lot of belief, yeah. And sometimes people have that just out of nowhere. But then sometimes you can pick where it's come from. So do you understand quite yeah, how yeah. you've got those personality characteristics? I don't entirely know. I mean, my 
my I'm the only male in my family that's not an engineer. So my dad it, is a retired um, structural engineer, civil engineer. And my brother is a uh, precision engineer by trade. So very specific, precise people. And I'm not precise. <laughs> I'm a bit more of a scattergun. So, and my mum... Um, my mum worked as a uh, in the in the bursary, and she worked in numerous schools um, and a, and a county council office. So, but one thing my parents did do was they always propagated my interest in something. If I showed an interest in something, they let me go with it, and they would always help to to push it along if at all possible. So instead of getting pocket money, my mum used to get me a magazine, a car magazine, because she knew I really liked it, and I would. It would help. I would draw. I was always drawing and sketching cars and building models of stuff out of FIMO, you know, that stuff that sort of that you bake in the oven. Loved all that. And a bit of Lego, but with Lego, more so, I wanted more realism than Lego. So I used to probably go for the Tamiya stuff. And that was a big moment saving us. Is that what, like maybe what I'd know as Meccano or something like that? Is that similar? What, the, the Tamiya stuff? Yeah. It's the radio controlled model kit. So uh, like a buggy that you control um, with batteries where you can get gas ones. And uh, so you build it from a kit, all the suspension, the diffs, um, the drivetrain, the receiver, the servo. I mean, and you can, they're quite realistic. So I suppose my era like 80s, growing up in the 80s and the, and the 90s, they were like, they were one of the coolest things because they were very well made and detailed. You get four-wheel drive and they would teach you how to drive rear-wheel drive inadvertently. You'd, you'd understand what opposite lock was and drifting because you'd drive them on gravel and I used to take them out in the snow if I could. That was so cool if you could take them out in the snow. You mentioned that your brain is a little bit of a scattergun. Yeah. Yeah. In the career that you're currently in, you actually have to work to put out content at a specific time each week and try and be consistent with it. Yeah. When I take it back to back then, when you were doing these things and being creative and if it was building a car or maybe writing a piece or things like this, would you always finish what you started? No. Uh, some in When my life was simpler, like at school, living at home, you know, not that much of a responsibility, more so. Now... I've, I have found it really hard to finish what I've started before my brain goes, oh, what's that? Oh, look at that over there. There's a squirrel. Oh, I've just seen another car for sale. I am terrible. I have to really like put the put the guards down and go, no, come on, finish what you started. Oh, I am quite bad like that. And it's, it's funny to some people from the outside looking in, but it's actually, it probably makes it quite hard. to. I'm probably quite a hard person to live with. Or, or work with, I would say, because of that. I'm always, I've got no shortage of ideas. So you've obviously told us briefly about what you do now. Many people already know. You mentioned that your first role that you fell into was a kind of journalism writing piece. What did you think was going to happen? What did you want to be versus what you actually became? Or did you become what you wanted to be straight away? It's a good question. Um, I suppose... There's a ladder to these things, you know, you work your way up the the, the, the ladder. So I, I went in on the, the shop floor as a staff writer and learned all the different aspects to mags. And at that point, digital cameras hadn't come out yet. So you were still f shooting onto transparency film. So I learned photography um, at the sort of base level, the, the analog level. Um, 
and did a yeah did photography and writing and booking shoots obviously traveling to locations and stuff so i suppose to answer your question i didn't have a really really long term plan i think i mean I, I was more dip beam than full beam and i still am more of a dipped beam person because i can't i love it when people say i've got a three year plan you strike me as being one of these people that has a i've got a two year plan or a three year plan and, and this is how it's going to work i can't do it i've got the bandwidth in my head to see down the road i haven't got my sort of led spotlights on i think i i speak for myself i i have those plans yeah and then i get a year down the line and just feel like oh wow, that that was nothing like what i thought it was gonna be a year ago so yeah. i try and work to those plans but it doesn't yeah. actually ever happen like that but it seems like you set yourself on that plan though that trajectory of being yeah. going to motoring and journalism and you yeah. can kind of see all those little bits in a kid that crafted you into that yeah but one bit that i don't want to um get away from before we start another part of this journey is what was cars like for you when you were a kid because you oh, have yeah. an eclectic mix of cars on your channel from from everything i've seen the likes of supercars bond cars bind barn finds little fiat's motorbike everything yeah it really is everything so was that the case when you were younger i think so I think uh, it started off as being more around things like old Volkswagens. So the first magazine I worked on was a classic Volkswagen uh, called maybe a bit of Porsche um, mag. Yeah, and I was really into that. And I think when you're younger, you probably, you, you, you latch onto something and it probably came about from Herbie, the, the Herbie film. And so, and then after that, gradually, as I got into journalism, my my awareness of the subject and my knowledge increased and the people I met and I realised this world, world was bigger and bigger than I realised. And as a consequence, I wanted to work not on a niche mag, on a more mainstream mag. So I went from a niche classic car mag to a mainstream classic car mag to a mainstream car magazine because I thought in the future I'd like to have new cars as my work and old cars as my hobby still because I grew up around a lot of old cars because basically my parents couldn't afford new cars. So we just had old cars. And then I think my, my game plan was that. And then um, I think I would have always been in the magazine world, possibly sort of PR and uh, car PR. Um, but yeah, uh, going into TV and presenting was a total accident. And that came about by getting made redundant. I, and in fact, if I hadn't been made redundant, I think it, I might... I don't know where I, I honestly don't know where I would be. Maybe still in that printed media world. So, so what age were you made redundant, Jan? Because that's quite a big cataclysmic moment in somebody's journey yeah. in their career or um, life is the first time that happens. You know, it's the first time you lose a lot of money, the first time you make a lot of money, the first time you get mad, the first time you get made redundant. That's a, a pretty yeah. big moment. So, so where, why, and who, how, and then what? <laughs> so t I was 27. 2006, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd auditioned as it, as it turned out for Fifth Gear, the TV show that was on Channel 5, then on Discovery. And then I had heard nothing back from them. I kind of got offered an audition or a chat um, by a friend of mine who worked on the, the show. They knew that producers were looking for another staff member, someone possibly a little bit quirky. And... Um, I did this audition that was impromptu and a bit of a shocker. Then I heard nothing. And then in that nothing period, I got called into work and got made redundant. 
from my job on Car Magazine. And I was really, I was, I was completely uh, distraught. I mean, my sort of world imploded, really. I mean, looking back, it didn't seem that serious because doors always open, don't they? But at the time, you know, I, I was really gutted. I'd worked, worked hard to get to that point and felt like I, I wasn't valued. So then I thought, well, sometimes you need the push to go self-employed. And that was my push to go, all right, A, I'll prove them wrong that they shouldn't have let me go. A little bit of fire in the belly. Which is, there was a bit of fire, I, I have to admit. And I did steal my desk. Um, shit, really. I also filled the lift with pornography and spray my, that's another story. Um, so I yeah, stole my desk in fury, went home, and then thought, I'm going to go freelance with all the contacts I've built up in the industry since the end of the 90s when I started. And then like within about two weeks of me going freelance, I got a call from Fifth Gear, who I'd heard nothing from and assumed it was going nowhere, to say, we've shown you sort of real to Channel 5. We'd like to book you to present one item on the show. If you don't screw it up, we'll book you for another one. What do you reckon? So it was a, it was a proper door closed, door open thing. And so I went from being like angry at the world and determined to prove everybody wrong to still kind of wanting to prove everybody wrong, but also getting a, a job. And so I became freelance. And so, yeah, and I've been freelance since that time. And um, I guess I was lucky, you know, because I wasn't trying to chase being a presenter. And I sure as hell wasn't trying to chase fame like a lot of people probably seem to do now. They chase being famous rather than being good at something, perhaps, which is a dangerous game. And um, and it and it opened my world up to driving cars of all types all around the world. Some real pinch me moments that I'm really thankful for. And then that sort of, I guess, trickled into eventually this, you know, YouTube, my own channel. And those things seem to have fallen into place kind of one after another there, but it actually comes from a moment that wasn't good. No. It's amazing at how you can take a moment that wasn't an ideal moment and something that you think is horrendous. Yeah. And that's actually the best thing that's ever happened yeah. in terms of what ends up happening as a career, which is quite amazing when you kind of flip that on its head and think about it for a minute. Yeah. But mo many people out there will absolutely love the idea. I mean, I, I grew up um, watching... Chris Harris slide four five eights around tracks and you know the era of when I think his reviews were absolutely incredible and um is it Jeth Jethro and I remember him driving the McLaren and I absolutely loved it once and he took it off and I, I used to wait and for the Evo mag to drop their video because I was very video heavy I wasn't very mag reading heavy yeah the car of the year video was like every year it was like such a big video I was waiting for I loved it just consumed as someone all that new kind of video content but i i thought as as me before i even had a license looking at that how the hell would some i don't get where that journey is never there's many many people that won't will believe that anything's possible but it's trying to understand how someone gets in a position where they're sat in a car with 20 of their mates being paid to rag it around scotland half the time <laughs> yeah and and give a review on it for a magazine and it, it's fascinating to see how someone has made that happen. But these guys, you see the emotion and the smile on their faces when they're doing that stuff. Do you remember after you fell into being self-employed, a moment where you went, how is this actually happening? Oh, yeah. How is this real? This is amazing. Yeah, numerous times. Numerous times you'd go, 
I'm being paid to fly out to do the do a thing, drive a car that I can never afford, or that isn't even on sale, and and then talk about it, write about it, whatever, uh, and then and then fly home, possibly business class, possibly in a really nice hotel, and possibly get to have a drink afterwards with the designer of that car, the CEO of the damn corporation. There's been numerous moments like that where I'm really thankful because you just go, I mean, actually, the problem is I can't remember it all. There's so many of them. I have to look back through my diaries. I keep all my old diaries because I can just flip through them and go, oh, yeah, that's when I went to Tokyo and I went <laughs> went, went into that um, that bar that was on the top of a hotel that had a whole night of Elvis impersonators. And I was sit next, sat next to the designer of the Nissan Skyline GTR. And we chatted for most of the nights about GTRs, but with a backdrop of Japanese Elvises. And that's just one... That's just one random instance. And that would never happen unless there was a moment of redundancy and pain. Yeah. We've never opened the doors to doing those things. But do you yeah. think nowadays the only route into that market, because you mentioned your route, was through your love of reading ended up giving you the career direction to go into journalism. And that journalism and understanding about that world opened the doors for them progression as mm. then the digital world exploded. Many things became visual video rather than text. Yeah. And everything kind of fell into place. But do you think at the minute it would be very hard to do that unless it's just, right, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and try and make it as good as it can be? Yeah, I mean, it's easier and it's harder because you can self-publish everything now. We could live stream stuff, anything you want. There's that instantaneousness, which is handy. But come, what comes with that is the saturation of the market. And I guess lots of people kind of shouting me over here, come and look at what I'm doing. So I get asked a lot, like, how can I start this industry? How can I become like you? And the, the truth is, is I don't really know, but what I would say is, uh, whatever you end up doing, whether it's this industry or something else, is badger people and offer your services for free, as in like work experience. I think the value of work experience is, is absolutely... Um, is 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 the thing because work experience allows you to look at have a glimpse into that world before you commit you know like on a, on a full career scale um and it helps you to i guess get into an industry or have a week or two in the industry and meet people and contacts really are important i know there's that old saying of like it's not what you know it's who you know and there is so much of that in the media world well there certainly was and um and I, you know, I've, I'm lucky enough to have a lot of contacts and you, you do use them and they use you. And, um, and it's just kind of like the way it is. So yeah, it's, it's, I think the, the, the reason why I ended up doing this or sort of a part of this, going back to your original kind of question is because my parents, especially my dad, I got the distinct impression that he didn't enjoy his job. And I knew how many hours he worked at his job. And I think he never really said it to me, but he sort of did with his body language and the, the way he was. It was basically like, don't do a job that you hate because you will spend more time doing work than almost anything else in your life. And if, and if you grow to hate it or it, it makes you ill, then everything else will just be less enjoyable. So I think that message just stayed in my head. It was always like, whatever you do for a job, be passionate about it. Unless you're driven by money, in which case you, I guess if you're more driven by money, 
you that's your goal, isn't it? And so everything else is just a sort of hurdle. And I've never really been driven by money, so it's kind of like it's got to be enjoyable. See, I don't think creative people are. No. I think financial people <laughs> I think financial people are. Yeah. I think maybe um it's really interesting actually. I'm making a slight comparison. I don't think she's driven by money in the slightest, but previous guest, Nikki, she actually mentioned and she's gone into motorsport presenting T V yeah. um, Formula E. She she came from a background that was very financial. She was in banking. She was fantastic at maths, all fantastic oh, at sure, science. Yeah like unreal and she, she was going to be and was a banker in the city of london and um she didn't want the the money element of it which is why she ended up following her dreams because there's still that creative flair there and going into the world of presenting but it was only because she had such an understanding scientifically of mathematically yeah about batteries and lithium and all the rest of it that's how that linked up with her passion of cars and automotives and all the rest of it. But it's funny because you either come from one side of it, which is the analytical technical approach yep. or the complete rusty Volvo approach. Yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. going to make this amazing. And I can see which side you sit on opposite. But you've obviously made that work very well. Yeah. And kind of getting on to where that's, that's gone. We, 2006 was a, was a year that you mentioned, but 2007 and eight actually followed with well, the worst financial crisis the country ever seen. So that, yeah. company that had gone bust and you'd been made redundant from that was prior to the recession and surely yeah. mag should have been booming then before digital was going on so what kind of was going on in that world so yeah i know i know i was the first wave of a few, a few waves of redundancy of that particular company the company didn't go under but it got bought out by another it got amalgamated into another company and I think they'd probably bit off more than they could chew i think they'd invested in lots of different things they dabbled in the new world of digital, they dabbled in radio stations and that kind of thing. And probably, you know, a lot of people don't realise this, and uh, that magazines, quality, you know, glossy magazines cost a lot to make. And uh, you'd, you know, I think now, I think back now, I think, you know, I, I, I got flown to the other side of the world to photograph or to, to, to shoot with a photographer and write a two-page feature. A two-page feature. My phone should be on airplane mode. It's it right. is on airplane mode. We're very chilled. Um, and you think, so I flew to the other side of the world. You know, I flew to New York for a double-page spread picture and writing of a, a, it was a concept car. And the money involved in that, from a fine, from a manufacturer point of view, of getting us out there, but also, the, the, you know, the outlay of the mag, you just see bloody hell. Is it justified? Yeah, and I fast forward to now, and I've reached a point where I've—I mean, I've been fortunate enough to travel a lot with work. It—it may—it's—it's—it's been really good because I've seen countries I never thought I would, and um, I guess it's made me more worldly or or whatever. Um, The downside of that is it's been quite wasteful, and the other downside to it is it's made me dislike going on holiday a lot because I basically my idea of a holiday involves no airports. So the one good thing that came out of COVID was I stopped flying. I stopped traveling. I was on a flight probably every two weeks, maybe more. And my children grew up with me being away a lot or always having a packed bag. COVID came. I was at home all the time, which was different for a lot of people. And um, and it made me reevaluate, like, hang on, if I'm going to fly to LA, if a manufacturer is going to say, hey, do you want to go to LA to look at the new whatever, Volkswagen ID buzz. I'll go, yeah, 
but that's one feature that you're tra traveling to LA. If we're going to do long haul, can we do X, Y, Z, and maybe something else as well? And I'll stay out there for f five days rather than two days. And now that's the way I think. I think I've got to be more productive with my time. If I'm at the office and I'm and I'm flying or, you know, traveling a long distance, it's got to make it more financially viable. And is... I'm less guilt-ridden, I think. No, I understand. That's what I had to do with this man. I've got my amazing assistant, does everything for me, Steve, sat in the corner, bold Steve who actually has his own channel where everybody can check out called Bold Bricks, who builds Lego cars in the back of the actual cars and much more. Love it, love it. If, if Steve wasn't able to drive this van, drive the studio to guests like yourself, the amount of hours I would lose for my other businesses would be unbelievable. The fact that I can sit there with a foot on the dash, which I really shouldn't do. I'm going to break my pelvis if we have a crash <laughs> at some point um, with the feet with the feet up <laughs> doing a load of work. And then we have a moment that makes me think, whoa, <laughs> we get a Honda Jazz pull out or something. Um, but no, I totally get why that's important and valuable to you because you, you do start. And I think that's part of running your own business and running your own thing is you are responsible for every hour in your day and you almost feel guilty, don't you, if, if you're not filling that time and especially if you've also got a family to look after as well as a business so before it's essentially that the late break show your your channel on youtube 600 and is here somewhere i'm gonna get it right because i always don't get it right 627 thousand people have clicked that subscribe button since you started that channel that's amazing when you think of that that is oh god this tests both of our poor maths now that is around seven, I believe. Fully packed Wembley stadiums. Seven. Out there, maybe eight. I don't know. No Gosh, good at maths, I mean, are we? Well, I mean, so, it's, more, it's more than one. I mean, I'm impressed with that. Of people that have, that have hit that button from the content that you create over the years. And so yeah. many more millions would have had an impact or an impression from your content over that period. Yeah. Why did you start a YouTube channel? Was that just a natural progression, as you, you kind of alluded to? Um or have you always been about understanding the latest and newest things you've been doing this so long? I started my YouTube channel, my own brand, because I'd worked with, on I'd worked for a number of other people before on their YouTube channels and, and and on other platforms. And whilst that was good and it got good experience as basically a hired gun, I wanted to, I reached a point where I guess I wanted to. I'd reached an age. What was I? I was nearly I was a forty. I was nearly forty. Uh, I reached an age where I thought, I've got to be in control of my own destiny a bit more. And, and that means perhaps setting up your own business, brand, whatever you want to call it, and trying to control it. And, and, and actually, I decided to do that about six weeks before COVID existed. So it was a wow. bit of a baptism of fire. I thought it was a lot longer than that. No, it, Giants, to be honest. It was, it, was, it was Christmas 2019 or January 2020 that I decided to go out on my own as car pervert, which then became the late break show. And it was exciting, but COVID made it, you know, terrifying and um, a massive challenge because I'd stopped doing other work because I was focusing all my energy on my own new business. And like any new business, you've got better experience than I have um, about setting up your own business. A lot of it's unpaid. It's a shed load of hours. And uh, as a shed load of unpredictability. Um, so, yeah, but what it allowed me to do is almost be selfish, I suppose. I'd been frustrated with doing certain TV where you film something, you can't control the edit, 
it gets shortened, it gets diluted. You you get asked to pitch ideas to a TV producer, commissioner about some new car TV. Wouldn't you be great, Johnny? We could see you doing this and this. And oh, I can't tell you how many dozens of meetings I went to and they came to nothing. And it's a lot of energy. You know, coming up with ideas, going to London, pitching them, coming back, hearing nothing. And in the end, I just was like, um, it was actually my ex-wife who just said, well, why, why are you wasting all your energy coming up with ideas that you believe in that get put on dead, you know, dead ears? They don't understand what you're trying to do. Why don't you just do you on, a, on, on your own platform? And so the Late Break Show is pretty much my brain, my car brain on a channel. The full design, the full everything, the full creativity there. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously, I had adults to help me set it up and market it. Um, it's true. And, uh, yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, thinking of I've, yourself, that's brilliant. I've, I've been called, I've been thinking called. Thinking of yourself still is not an adult, because of the childishness of the fun of world I, that we play in. I have a childlike curiosity, which can, I think can be an advantage for certain parts of my job, but it also it can be a massive disadvantage as well. So, you know, we can laugh, but there are certain parts where we think, actually. But it has it has meant that um, you can create your own world, um, which initially was sort of felt a bit selfish, but then you thought, I, I guess I was convinced after all these years of coming up with ideas that I thought people would be interested in, that mainstream TV commissioners just didn't understand because they're not car people. Um, and then just put it all in a cooking pot and turn it into this channel. And this channel is this variety pack, you know, the Kellogg's variety pack of cereals when you're a kid or not a kid, you can still enjoy them as an adult. And you have a bit of everything. And that's what the channel is. You've got a, a brand new electric car review. Then you've got um, interviewing, uh, a, you know, a, a famous old r racing driver, for example, or car designer. And then you've got digging a car out of a barn uh, and sometimes dealing with quite an emotional backstory. And then you've got me uh, trying to repair or restore one of my old shitters. And then you've got um, going and doing something on a racetrack. And then you've got uh, someone's amazing car collection that they've built up over years. And you're in this you're in this sort of like automotive merry-go-round, really. And the variety of that is, is important to us. But it's also a complete bastard to to film. Because it means that I'm, I'm not quite as regimented as a lot of other YouTubers, uh, and I think sometimes people don't appreciate that. You know, I'm 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 not just booking in a brand new car, filming it, and putting it out the door. Um, it's a lot more to it than that. I'm either borrowing cars off people, getting insured on an Octanium build, you know, some one-man band who's built a car that's totally bespoke, or someone's availability for a secret car collection that's taken me a year to get access to because people are very secretive or again you know a barn find car which a family are dealing with a bereavement or some other complication there's never a straight answer um and people are never easy people are never easy and people have got diaries and also the cars are not always easy like the access to the car is not easy or the bloody car's broken or um you can't get it running or the weather. I mean, like this right now, we're doing this now and it's like sheeting with rain outside, sleeting. And this is the time of year in Britain that makes me go, I'd like to film more stuff indoors. In fact, I love the fact we're in this amazingly insulated van because 
I, I am getting a bit jaded about filming outside. It's just hard. I'm waiting, trust me. I it's don't, hard. I don't blame anybody. I'm waiting for the next Van Orsten studio to pop up out there somewhere. And one day when we've got our million subs and we're out there, we've done it. We're going to upgrade to a lorry and it's going to be insane. We've got it all planned out. <laughs> well, if, we, if, I, if I had a van of this calibre or a van at all for my podcast, I'd be over the moon. Oh, it's unbelievable. This is pro. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's been fun, and um, we've got one. I say I've watched you spend time out in the the USA, and I've watched a lot of Mike Brewer stuff yeah. in the USA as well. And it was fascinating when you were speaking a minute ago about the frustration with TV not being able to control the edit. I think actually maybe credit where credit's due to Mike. He spoke a lot about really being hands on, and ended up being producing a lot of the stuff he was doing yeah and what you just said then really made me understand his point point from his podcast even more so yeah because i kind of get it when you hear more people talk about it like why you'd want to be hands-on and maybe that's how he's made the tv work so well for wheeler dealers because it is kind of his head envisioned but it's more authentic that way but people that people i speak to either go two ways with with channels when they end up with their own youtube channel and i genuinely hand on heart love your channel because of the variety if i was to if i was to focus on road to success and and do nothing else that i've fallen into from chicken to websites to all sorts of bits (laughs) and bobs lakes i I gained lakes and i gained that time and i focused it all on automotive yeah i think i would love to do something similar to how the your channel makeup is because i love seeing car collections i love cool stories other people which is why i and many others enjoy it but I appreciate that. When you were putting you. that together, you obviously have seen things work and not work so much over the years in your career building it up. And when I sit opposite um, many YouTubers, the ones that actually seem to work, that seem to get the kind of numbers of what you've achieved, are the ones that have ended up having to niche down. We spoke about this before the podcast. You know, it's obviously clear to see that rebuilding a crash damaged supercar is. It's, it's t- in vogue, Is YouTube gold at the minute? I know. And, and if you kind of deviate off that ever so slightly, then I tries the platform almost tries to pull you back and control it. Yeah. How have you managed to build um, a channel where all these elements just seem to work together that you want to do, and and make it financially viable? And not just that, many people end up doing being very they do everything themselves and then they're kind of limited by that and we turned up today see your partner in the office oh lisa lisa working away and you mentioned that you have videographers come in as well and you clearly have expanded more of a team so just tell us about how the late break show works and how you've made the channel work right okay so um yeah i'm trying to remember the very first thing that you said then um how it all how it all works together what are you so how all the bits of the puzzle, how have you made that work without niching down to one of those bits that you've done? Yeah, so the honest answer about how I get fairly consistent views for different genres of of, 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 um, of vids, I honestly don't know. I wish I knew. The YouTube algorithm is like my constant enemy. Uh, it's like the it's like the beast of the sea. You're, you're floating around in a fishing boat and this beast comes out of the sea. You can fight it off or you can try and catch it. It's it's so difficult. I um I wish I knew because it causes quite a lot of stress and anxiety a lot of the time. But I think two things. When we first set up, we made a point of trying to grow our audience organically. We didn't pay for big marketing. We didn't try and buy 
views or stuff like that. And we didn't partner with any sponsors or potential kind of businesses that we didn't believe in, which was, which meant we lost out on money in the short term. But I suppose I came into YouTube as a guy in his uh, 40 years old. I didn't start as a YouTuber as some, you know, 17, 18 year old lad living at home with his parents, which is a much better way to do it. Cause I guess the risk is, is lower. Overheads right? are lower. Yeah. And I started, I started this. Um, with my family going this has to work as a business because if this doesn't work I haven't really got a plan B right now I do do a bit of corporate work but that's that comes and goes and there's, it's so unpredictable <laughs> like ad sense yeah 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 it's like feast or famine I mean it is and so I uh, there's that there's that to consider I knew really early on that I didn't have the bandwidth I, I'm, I'm not a competent enough person to film myself edit myself plan ahead and do PR and, you know, social media for everything. Not the, the amount of videos we were doing. And I think the biggest difference for me with the Late Break Show was setting it up where we did, knowing that most of my audience will have probably seen me on TV in the past. If I started my own channel and was filming it in a fairly shit way, it, it could look to the outside world like I'd had a fall from grace. And that I was being desperate, and it, it might not be the case, but I think it was said to me like, "What's your what's your production level? Like, you've got a really good production level of this podcast, despite you've... the fact we had to nick an SD card." Yeah, but <laughs> but you know, but in all seriousness, like you've you've got a standard that you're trying to adhere to, or even push the boundaries of, and and I could see that immediately. And with our YouTube channel, it was always like, I want to try and start with a TV quality episode every time. It's not going to be obviously. It can't be. It can't be top gear levels of production. But you know, I, I we we have one camera operator for every shoot. They're a freelance. I do self shoot some stuff, and in the early days, I did loads because of COVID. But I've tried editing myself. I've done a fairly shonky job of some of it out of sheer desperation. But damn, it's hard. Editing's harder than filming. Yeah, one hundred. Editing is the skill. You can shoot stuff averagely, and if you've got a wizard in the edit suite, you can. You can make a, a silk purse out of a sow's ear or a boar's ball bag. So I think I, I needed to make sure that that was going to work, especially with the, the hardest thing for me with YouTube is it's a treadmill. It's so different to TV. TV, you, you work hard for maybe two months, let's say, and then everything goes into the edit. You do voiceovers and then you deliver it to the channel. The channel puts it out whenever it wants. Then there's a big lull and then you get a call again and you do the same thing again. So it's big, big workload followed by big lull, big workload, big lull. YouTube is like flat out, like automatic kick down all the time. It's a treadmill that you've, I feel like someone's taken the knob off and flicked it into a bush. And, and the fucking thing is just going and you're like, you're like, well, I've got a reasonably good heart so I can keep at this for a while. I'm getting hungry and I'm getting tired and I'm running out of, creativity that's the hardest thing for me because being a creative soul and not a very organized soul i'm trying to assemble people around me who can digest my creativity and help me map it out but i've got a factor in creative time and youtube is just uh, there are numerous times w days of the week where i feel like it controls me and i don't control it and apparently when you're self-employed you can control your own destiny and i don't always feel like that it's I quite scary I watched um, 
a podcast with uh, a guy that I follow on YouTube. Um, many may know him, Beard Meets Foos, uh, Adam. And I mean, to any YouTuber, to any YouTuber watching, you'd think, and I mean, nobody could match his skill, for instance, of being able to eat that quantity of food, actually, which is why people tune in. You know, that's the magic dust. <laughs> but the way he can does his videos, how they're, they're basically it's the same style every time. And if he slightly deviates, as we said before, the channel, YouTube, the algorithm, they just want him to do that. They just want him to eat a massive burger, um, kind of digest it and do it. And he was doing two videos a week. And I watched him say that it was nearly, he just he just couldn't do it anymore. The eating, the traveling, the everything. And to what to the outsiders, I mean, I get comments on my fishing channel all the time. Like, where's the second video? Why is it not here yet? You said it'd be out this week. And nobody understands what goes into making just one video that isn't a vlog. It's amazing. So, yeah, you do two a week. We do. We were doing two a week for at least a year. And, I, and it got to the point where I was I was burning out and I was almost resenting it a bit. And I thought, this is not the way it should be. So a combination of trying to look at the um, the analytics and work out, well, obviously every video costs me money to make. You know, I'm paying a professional to film it, to edit it. I'm paying um, someone in the office to help me. Um, but I'm not always guaranteeing money back unless it's sponsored every time. So we, 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 we came down to five or six a month. Um, and that's the happy medium, sort of five videos, I'd say five videos a month. So that's every Sunday at 5 p.m. and probably every other Thursday or one Thursday at 5 p.m. Uh, and that's enough, you know, because you still have to, you still have to plan and get the, get that sort of variety that I talked about, right? Talk to people whose lives, you know, you have to fit in with if you're coming to visit their cars or borrow their cars or a manufacturer's launching a car. And it is really hard, you know, it's, 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 it's taken its toll in certain areas. Um, and I still haven't got it right. Still definitely trying to find the right balance. And I know this sounds, you know, you've, you started the podcast by saying how, you know, all the numbers of subscribers and everything, it's really hard to, you either, you either rest on your laurels a bit and go, Carl, that's actually a really good achievement. I'm pleased with that. And I am pleased with it. I'm, I'm really pleased with it. I suppose on the other side, you're always going, but you can't switch off for a bit because that treadmill that youtube treadmill continues the emails keep pouring in the dms and i the one regret i've got at the moment is i wish i wasn't the only person on camera because if i'm trying to scale up a business or not diversify but give myself a break i'm i'm in every video it's not a great idea is it because if i'm ill if I fall in that lake and have to go to hospital for three months, I can't film anything. So my challenge right now is, I guess, trying to grow the business nicely, keeping its authenticity and not not burning myself out and sort of, it's hard. Such what well, I would hard. refer to this, my own little, my own little um, phrase as a barbershop problem. Because what ends up happening is you get the barber that owns the barber shop and he rents out seats to different new and upcoming barbers and people that want to try. And he then ends up with a shop with barbers in it that are unbelievably brilliant and skilled and happy. But then what do they do when they get to that point? They go. They go. They and they leave own. and they set up their own shop and then the next wave comes in. And I can't help but think some of the limitations of having a YouTube channel like that 
is when you bring on one of the barbers, maybe some younger one. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Enthusiastic, right? Some putting together some brilliant content, but maybe without the means to put it out there. Yeah. And it's that moment where you then you, you, you then gain from having that from the beginning, but there's a moment when then they want their own barbershop. Yeah. And um I can yeah. see that being a big challenge yeah. on YouTube to find people that would want to work in that way. Yeah, and also I guess taking into account like the the your your own future. I sometimes wake up and think when I'm an old guy, I don't think of myself as being old now, apparently I'm middle aged. When I'm an old guy There'll be a Porsche coming soon <laughs> Which there is, oh, there on. is yeah. I go on. Thank you. My one thousand nine hundred pound boxster. There is. It's it's at home. It's in it's in the carpool. And the the what a cliche. I know that's probably <laughs> someone did say to me. Oh, there we go. There's the uh, the middle age uh, midlife crisis oh, car. I said, Seriously, I mean it's it's a sub two grand boxster. It's not exactly midlife crisis, but um, in all seriousness, yeah, I, I suppose I look at like, uh, is someone going to care about watching a guy? talking about cars in his 50s or 60s, am I still going to be doing it? I, I honestly don't know. I go with what I'm interested in. I have one eye on the future of, of the automotive world and one eye on the past, maybe a third eye on the present. I haven't thought of this analogy. But basically, I'm always trying to d- d- kind of do that. But the, the more I do the job, the more I'm interested in the people behind the cars. Because I think stuff like the the memorable barn finds and the car collections, sometimes the person is more fascinating than the metal. And I think that's, for me, that's come with age maybe, of being around a lot of cars, speaking to a lot of designers, engineers, famous people who are into cars, whatever, racing drivers. And you realise they're the fascinating ones. The cars are sort of the, the accessory. And so, yeah, I'm always looking about, I guess, Having listened to your podcast or watched it, um, I've I've realised you know there's a lot of business people, entrepreneurs who are who I sort of look up to in terms of like how you grow a business and nurture a business and and that and that work life balance which is really hard. I think the work life balance thing is is very very hard, um, and and keep it enjoyable because I it, for me if something's not I mean my my ex-wife will tell you if something's not fun I'm out <laughs> well, that answers that question then doesn't I, uh, it 
uh, and, I, and I don't mean this from a marital commitment. I mean this just in life. If 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 it's not going to be that much fun, I will really, really struggle to do it. Even if it, even if you throw pound notes at me, but it's hard to know when. It's, yeah. It'd be a hard question to ask yourself when a YouTube channel chasing your passion and your dream of the thing that you love to do. And cars, I suppose it's quite a difficult mental challenge if you ever come across that moment where you think this isn't fun because then you feel like it should be and you ask yourself why it's not. But what would you say? I mean, everybody is on kind of one, one. we've all got one journey. We can only be one age once. Um, so we all we all have to learn things as we go and reflect on them. And many people that I speak to on the podcast, you know, following what they love, following a dream, following a passion, being creative, turning that into something that ultimately financially earns a living to be able to live. And then a massive benefit of that is also gaining enjoyment out of the job. But there has been some sort of major sacrifice. And it's a major sacrifice that the people behind um, the camera watching are usually quite fascinated about because it puts it puts into perspective that just because you see somebody for 20 minutes on a video with an amazing barn find in front of them and a cool story, a family driving a press car that's a McLaren or a Ferrari that they only get to see inside a hall at the NEC with a great big grin on their face usually and smile happily and projecting their emotion to the camera to get it across to the viewer. Maybe what they haven't seen is actually some of the really shit moments that goes along that journey. And we spoke about many of your, your high points about finding yourself in different countries and thinking, how have I got here in Tokyo in Elvises and <laughs> all the cars that you've been able to drive and follow your passion. But could you maybe share with the audience a, a moment that you think, bloody hell, like, this is hard. Yeah, there's been a few. I think there's there's the um, there were moments in 2020 and 2021 especially where your alarm goes off at six, you're straight on the laptop, either looking through an edit or trying to write a blog or whatever it is, and then you fast forward through the day and it's now one in the morning. You're in a, maybe a different room on the same laptop and uh, your eyes are so sore that it feels like someone's just been just been pouring salt into them all you've done is eaten penguin bars and and peanuts and you're like this is this is not great this is not healthy and um and in my instance i think probably working with your family has been really hard and and and, and was always a risk and probably didn't pay off oh wow so you know the 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 late break show it I'm very proud of it and it wasn't it's never been just me working on it but um it's been hard like 2021 2020 was a bit of a roller coaster ride and it had some and I think um the combination of probably starting my own business and then going into a an economic kind of like hole that no one really knew the outcome of and actually the repercussions of that still continue now right i think that's that was really hard and i'm really thankful for the fact that we, it probably helped the channel the brand to grow from maybe people being locked up and frustrated and stuff but yeah the the, the i think the toll the personal toll for me is 
my job's not a nine to five and I, probably a lot of people watching it maybe theirs isn't either the difficulty for that is you don't have a regimented structure around your life and although that's liberating at first maybe when I was in my 20s didn't have a family now I sort of crave a more regimented life because I'm not a very organized person and so therefore trying to slot all these lego bricks in diaries schedules podcasting filming being a parent being a being a dad I find it really hard that's the part of my job that I that I that I really don't like is and I, and it doesn't sound very serious when you say it out loud but I find diarizing stuff and projecting uh, looking ahead and going right we need to schedule this we need to do this and then in April you'll do that I can't see it I can't see it I have to write it on a whiteboard and it's not enjoyable See that it's terrifying. I, I, ben, it's terrifying. I can for relate me. it to a conversation I had yesterday with my accountant Hannah, um, and so I just don't understand why you won't write down your mileage you're doing in each of these cars and then expense it back to one of your businesses because you're literally saving money. But Hannah, so I don't like it because <laughs> I I just can't do it. I always forget there'll be no consistency. And then so you need to get Steve to do it. And it, and, it's, and it makes perfect sense what she says. But then because of that, maybe it's because when you're so creative, maybe we lack discipline. Yeah. Maybe one of the biggest things that becoming slightly entrepreneurial or self-developed or in charge of your own reins is that you actually lose track of a little bit of discipline. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it absolutely could be. I, th I think I've tried to tighten that up. Becoming a parent tighten that up. And then sort of other big upheavals in my life tightened up even more but I know like I had a I had, I had a meeting with my accountant yesterday as well I had to ask them to repeat everything about four times because I'm like don't, don't still understand it I'm afraid could you just say it all again and so I suppose yeah it's important for me to, to do that but on the flip side if you know you've reached this kind of age and you still don't get stuff or you just can't work your head around it. I guess you, as a manager or a leader of a brand, you try and uh, surround yourself by people that are good at it. And that's my, that's sort of the the journey I'm on now of like, if this is going to succeed and carry on succeeding, because I'm in it for the long haul, you know, I, I, I was never intending to do YouTube for three years and then bail out and do something else. That's that's not what I'm, what I'm doing. Um I've got to. I've got to expand and invest in people who will do all the all the shit that I either cannot or will not do. Is that why family doesn't work? Yes, because it's. I asked. Um, I think so. I asked. And I, I'm, he's very much to actually, even though he's been doing it five six years and understands it brilliantly, and he's become a good friend of mine, Matt Armstrong. I asked him when I did the first podcast. I'm very excited. We're going to do another sit down very soon. A bit of reflection, but. He very much has brought his entire family in. And you can see he loves it. You know, yeah, he his does. dad's a legend. He's gonna come and have a couple of nights fishing on my lake and there's always smiling and laughing. But I do I do wonder as someone that loves to also is fascinated by people's journeys and other people's journeys. Yeah. Whether just at some point some kettle will boil with it and I'm not sure. And it is very people are very split over kind of um family and friends working in businesses and stuff. And I've it's strange for me because I'm right down the middle. Oh, yeah. Because I'm right down the middle because on the fence because I've seen it work brilliantly and I've also seen it not work brilliantly. 
So it's very hard to make a judgment call. So I'm a mixture of both, but I can see you're in camp now. I mean, I think I am, uh, it, and it's different for everybody, right? Um, but I mean, that said, that said, my brother, I'm going to use more on camera because my brother, who's quite an introvert, I'm probably classed as an extrovert. I think he's fucking brilliant on camera and he's funnier than me. He's dry as a witch's teat, but he's, he is so good. He's a fantastic mechanic. He's got an encyclopedic Rain Man mind for serial numbers and stuff like that. And I'd like to use him more in stuff like barn finds. Uh, and I think I've reached a point with my brother where he, he, if he doesn't want to do it, he'll just say, I'm not doing that. And that will be that. There's no more negotiation. So I think with Greg, it's okay. But I think working with other members of the family, it's kind of a hard... Well, actually, I, I say that. Lisa is my sister-in-law. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Ex-sister-in-law. And then that probably means I could tell in the five minutes that I was in the office, you have a gorgeous um, office spot where you where you film from from yeah. many people have seen it on camera and i was it actually makes you want to be creative and free it means you can breathe when you're outside near nature near lakes and you know yeah, i love a lake anybody yeah. that knows no, no, absolutely I, I, love I, a lake i thought i thought you'd dig it i mean I, <laughs> I i i i have to say that 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 office where i rent is 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 exactly um what i needed after covid after working in my own house and there being no balance between work life and home life, it was all blurred. And it blurred to the point where I was just lost. I was just working like as hard as possible. And um, and it made me realize that I have to enjoy the journey, not necessarily the destination. Because knowing me, I'll break down and never get to the destination. So if you've enjoyed most of the journey, then the destination like is like, well, well, probably wasn't that good anyway. And I think that's my, if I'm going to be wanky about it, that's my mantra at the moment of life. If, if you have to enjoy the journey, because nobody really knows what the destination is. And you can also get hung up on, I'll, I'll just do another year of, of, of it like this, or I'll just go through this much hell because at the other end is brilliant. You know, like people who say, I'm going to do all this for 10 years and then retire early. We what about if you die early? Or what about if, you know, life throws some pretty shitty curveballs at you and that all you've been hung up on is this thing on the hill, this this destination, and and how peed off and disillusioned will you be if, if you get there and it's not all that? I think actually my dad is the perfect example of that. Really? I, I do. He um he started his business at forty two after working in several different jobs and all the rest of it he dreamed of it turning over a million pounds a year it did in year one when he started it he couldn't believe it trums and he passed away at 59 from a sudden heart attack and had grown the business to north of 60 million um in revenue and all the rest of it and it was a shame because for me and i'd grown business off the main business that i was running and doing yeah i did also get to sell his main company and there was a lot of stuff that went with that and debts and all kinds of stuff i wasn't aware of that was really shit but i did get to maybe me enjoy the fruits of his labor a bit more because i was able to invest in everything that i'm now off doing now yeah off the back of it and it is a shame because i i do wonder where his end point would have been and if he would have jacked it all in but i don't know because I, I think to even maybe to him his journey was the bit he enjoyed because he got to go to India that he always wanted to see, he got to go to China, he got to go to everywhere following paving slabs yeah. of all things. 
so but it does make you think when people don't actually reach it because my i think my dad yeah. thought he was inevitable yeah oh is that the right word no it's not is it what is the right word invincible that's the word invincible my dad thought that he was invincible and i don't necessarily think he was so maybe maybe it's good that we actually try and think about enjoying the the moment a bit more but then it's hard because as somebody that's naturally entrepreneurial self-development you can't help but set goals no you can't and it's healthy I think obviously there's there's a lot of different goals, right? There's a lot of different ambition, and it's really good to be ambitious, and it's really good to 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 be inspired by other people. But I think if anything, if the last sort of five years of life has taught me anything, it's like just enjoy the little things, and indefinitely try and enjoy the journey. You know, to the point where I break down now. I actually don't break down very often anymore. I used to break down loads years ago because I used to drive really bad cars. And I now, if I break down, I sort of enjoy it. Like, I've done this for a while. I wonder if I can mend it. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it, that is twisted, isn't it? I mean, not minding breaking down. I broke down with my son a couple of years ago in my Dodge, my, my Dodge Charger, and it was at night and it was pissing with rain. Little did I realise the alternator had, had, had shut itself. And I was going into traffic on the motor and realised, are my lights working? can't see them in the back of the other car and then realised my lights weren't really working because the alternator wasn't working and managed to limp it into a services like honestly the car was stalling I knocked it into neutral went into the services rolled with it stalled up to a, a Starbucks where there was some lights and I thought right I think I know what's happened here I wasn't bothered I wasn't stressed because we were off the motorway and my son was like Are you, daddy is this going to be alright I'm like yeah yeah it'll be alright this AA guy came over and he went, look, uh, are you an AA member? I went, I'm actually not. <laughs> and he went, well, it's our duty as patrolmen to help anyone that needs help unless we're booked on another job. And he said, I don't have another job coming in for probably 45 minutes. She said, if I can help you, I will. How nice is that? And he popped the bonnet and I said to him, I think it's this. And we had a little look and he checked with his multimeter and he went, yeah, yeah, your alternator's died. He said, I've got a, a, a fast charger off the van. I'll fast charge the battery for 25, 30 minutes. He said, how far have you got to go? I said, I've got like 40 miles to go before I get home. He said, drive home with the running lights on, not the full headlights. And he said, you should make it. And that's exactly what I did. I said, it was a full moon that night as well. Proper sort of like risky business. Don't recommend this to anyone who's a responsible parent. <laughs> So I drove home in a 50-odd-year-old car with lap belts with my 10-year-old my son in the passenger seat with running lights on in pitch dark. Bearing in mind the running lights on that Dodge are orange at the front, so you can't see anything. Full moon, my eyes were the size of a moon, trying to concentrate. And any time a car came the other way, I'd put all the lights on so they'd see I was somebody. As soon as that car went past, back onto running lights, get home, get home, just get home. And the car died just as I rolled into the cul-de-sac. It just went boom. It rolled in, and I pulled the handbrake coming and went, that's cool, wasn't it? And my son still talked about it. Do you remember that time when we nearly broke down, but we didn't? We sort of got home, and I went, yeah, I know. How cool is that? <laughs> and I, you know, and I just, just like, Dad, you're an idiot. I'm like, well, you know, we got, we got home in the end. I can't even remember why I'm telling you this. This isn't a shit anecdote. It doesn't mean anything. Probably. We definitely went off on a tangent. As somebody that comes across very relaxed, for the camera yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Quite chilled with it. Yeah. This is a cool dude and it kind of rolls with a lot of the stuff. But I've been very surprised to hear you've only been doing it since, you know, just before lockdown. Yeah. 
what is the significance if you were to hit a million subscribers on YouTube? Would it matter to you? Would you care? And 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 or how much would you care? Does it matter anymore? Numbers. I think numbers matter to a point. I mean, because because it's your your business. YouTube's my main business now, so I guess I have to analyze it and try and understand what it means especially if you're trying to get sponsors and collaborate with people it does hold a bit of a weight but i don't know i don't know if um i suppose you get a, mi- a million you get a, get another plaque don't you the plaques as a mag as a magpie i suppose it's quite attractive what what percentage of you looking at something as a success would be attached to the numbers behind that mm. it's a really good point um, I think it's the fear of a fear of the the brand, the channel taking a a bit of a nosedive. And when things are good and they're consistent, you sometimes get used to that, and then that's dangerous, right? Because you you think, oh well, it's we've been doing these numbers, you know, three million views. Well, what are we doing for the back half of last year? Consistently, three three point something million views every across the channel every month really good really consistent like never below 2.9 2.8 was great and then there's a dip and even if it's just a dip for a week you do panic a bit i think i wouldn't panic if i didn't um if i wasn't it, it wasn't a proper business if it was a hobby business but it's not a hobby business so uh and 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 your to go back to the first thing you said then is I get that a lot with people saying to me, oh, he's really relaxed. He's really chilled out. And I'm quite quietly spoken. I don't think I'm that, I'm, I'm not as relaxed as people think I am. I think I get quite stressed out about a lot of things. Or I get frustrated and I don't know how to deal with it. But when I'm on camera uh, or talking to someone like in a public place, I just, I kind of like give off this, relaxed so i find that this is relaxing being a guest on a thing is relaxing i enjoy it actually um when we used to do like press junkets for like tv shows and stuff that's always fun but um yeah i don't know if i'm as relaxed as as i as people think i am uh it's a bit of a weird one i i i, I try and relax i try and factor in time to relax now because relaxation time does several things and one of those things is it creatively recharges you. And I think that's really important. After all, we are in an industry of sort of creativity. And if you run dry on that, you're kind of doomed, really. I think we've spoken about um, the career and the kind of structure, the makeup of it, the emotions, everything. And we've covered loads of stuff and it's been brilliant. But the audience would would be shortchanged if we didn't actually get onto the motoring of it a little bit. Because behind all of that's this, the boring bit. It wouldn't be possible without um, combustion. No, to be honest, it's all all run on combustion up till recently, where a small chunk of it is no longer being run on combustion. But there was combustion to make the bit that isn't run on combustion. But anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. What there must be a list as long as my arm of different cars that you must have owned because of this journey. Mm. What's what's been one of your favourites? I mean, I I got so excited of to seeing. The 1800 quid box because I wanted to buy one and go on a charity rally around Europe. And I was like, oh, he's done it. I get to follow this as a, as a user. Like, what's, tell us about some of the, the actual cars and why you love cars. I think um, the Bargain Boxster's been nothing but a pleasure, actually. 
Um, I'm really enjoying it. Gets better by the week. Um, the thrill of the chase is really important with me because I'm not a YouTuber who, who people follow because I'm buying the new, you know, I've just ordered my Ferrari 812 super fast and I'm going to walk you through my spec. I'm not that kind of person. I mean, for a start, I can't really afford it. I can't afford it. Not really afford it. I definitely can't afford it. And B, I think maybe because I've had the opportunities to drive a lot of these cars as a reviewer, I crave to own them less. And I have got quite odd car taste, which is definitely not not up everybody's street. And I know that. It's eclectic. You, you, am I right in saying you'd love a bit of green with tan? Yeah. Yeah. I do love a green, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of brown cars before they were cool. Like I always, what I always said, if I ever, uh, if I if I ever owned a Ferrari, it would have to be a brown Ferrari. Oh, for God's but sake! I, I, but I wouldn't own a Ferrari. Um, no disrespect to Ferrari owners, I just wouldn't. Um, definitely wouldn't own an Aston Martin. There are prizes, mate. Ninety-seven percent of them are totally overrated. But I'm in a fortunate position to have driven loads of them, and I walk away going. That was quite cool, but would I own it for whatever it is? Is that a, a hundred and ninety grand's worth? No, not a fucking chunk. But that's. But I'm and an you end up with a different car. No, I get, understand that because you you can take a price point. My mum, yeah. my mum always snaps at me whenever I've said, well, "I don't know why they bought that," and it's and she goes, "Because yeah. that's all they could afford." Like yes, the, and I go, "No, no, 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 mum, the, the, the same answer every time. It's not that." It's, they could have had this, 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 or this for that price. Yeah. So this is what I'd have done. I do that now a lot. Yeah. I do that a lot and I mutter about it. I used to do it. I try I try and just like keep myself to myself. Uh, what was the question? Shit. Cars. Oh, oh yeah, cars. Just cars. Um, cars. Aston's so, not being as good as what you think they there's were. A lot that, uh, there's a lot. But you're a Porsche man, right? I do like them and I've never owned a 911 and it's always been on my bucket list. I mean, having, uh, like I said, my career started with air-cooled Volkswagens. The, the the cousin of that is obviously the the the, the air cooled Porsches, but I've never actually got into one, and that's one of my aspirations. But it's really cliche for someone like me to want an 911, but I'm loving the bargain boxster, the ghetto, aka the ghetto boxster. But the um, my uh, I'm I'm glad that I don't aspire particularly to own high end supercars because I I like to have my dreams be attainable. So I own a few of the cars that I dreamt of owning. They're not necessarily in the condition that I want them to be. And I enjoy the the, the, the journey of sort of tweaking and restoration and maintenance. I'm a bit funny like that. But I'm also a magpie, so I buy stuff when I shouldn't, when I should be focusing on finishing this car. And then suddenly I go, ooh, ooh, look at that, it's a bargain. I'll have a bit of that. And that's bad, shouldn't do that, because that dilutes your focus. Um... But I, I, when people always say, oh, if you had to have one car, what would it be? I just go, well, I just wouldn't have one car. I mean, because I look at someone who's gone and bought a 40 grand family car and then they go, oh, but this does everything. It's like, it doesn't do everything. Don't lie to me. It doesn't do everything. And this is why I have a fundamental problem with SUVs because they, they claim to be the jack of all trades and they're fucking not. 
<laughs> they're a bigger physical car. They are rarely bigger inside, which no, is the bit them. you sit in. I love them. Oh. I love a fast SUV. I've had an SPR Urus. Oh, you've had a Urus? My old man had a Urus that I've driven by. Fucking I spent hell. more at. I spent more miles in it probably than he did because I'd nicked it all the time. But yeah, it was the last car he had. It was it? He used to love a big SUV. Oh. And I fell in love with them as well. I don't know what it is. I'm all about that. But then I kind of appreciate everything. Hot hatches. I've got an itch to scratch with a GI Yaris at the minute. Good car. Really big itch to scratch with a GI Yaris. I, a lot I of fun. love the idea of bombing down wet, nasty country roads in that and just getting the most pleasure out of it as possible. I think I would have had a complete off tangent now and I'm talking. I, I like a be. tangent. But I thrive on it. And, um, I love the Mini GP, the new one. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they didn't do it in manual. That baffles me. Yeah. I would have had one. Yeah. Um, and that's me saying that, and I couldn't even drive manuals up to a couple of years ago. Can you? No. Passed a manual, never drove one since. Had no need to. Right. Go, just the, You like hot hatches. I own a manual car now. Good. I'm glad to. It is up for sale. I don't really want it to be. We've got to think about that, really. I've got a... What I've you need... Got, you, I, is it air-cooled? Is one I'll never know. It is. How bad is that? Is a you question do, you've just asked know. someone else. I don't know. This is the thing. I fell in love with it. I have a 1989 Porsche 911... G50 930 Turbo. You got a 930 with a five-speed. Shitting hell! You got uh, a serious weapon. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I actually put it on air and BBS wheels, and it looked incredible. Um, but I now that's a cool car. Yeah, it's right? amazing. That's it's probably the best car I've ever owned, to be honest. So that's why if someone says to me, "I bought a Lamborghini Urus," I'll go, "Well, it's a free country, but why don't you buy a proper Lamborghini <laughs> and a, and a, and a family everyday car?" And it's the same money you've spent the same money, and you've bought two better cars. That's my view. No, people I always try and shoehorn everything into one car, and I go, "Why? Why are you bothering? Just spend less money or the same money on two completely different vehicles." It's the whole mantra of like the Audi RS6. Now, the Audi RS6 has historically been amazing because it's an estate car that's supercar fast. It does lots of stuff. However, people often say that before they've lived with one and paid to run one. That's like buying a boat and running a boat. Two very different things, right? An RS6 will eat you alive in terms of maintenance. They're amazing, but I go, yeah, I just buy an E-Class Merc estate that does... 40 to the gallon, and then I'll buy a, th- a GI Aris for the weekend or a 911. I get that. I've got a friend, she's the epitome of done, done this brilliantly, actually, called Amber. And instead of having one mental car, she has multiple, what I'd say, bargains that she's picked out brilliantly that do different. She's got a really fast M6 coupe, BMW in blue, and she's made for a steal. She's got an SUV, she's got a McCann, and she loves being the McCann user going around Miss she McCann. loves her Porsche she's got a, a Nissan 370Z for the track yeah um, and a Pajero to go off-roading in Amber's, Amber, Amber she's nailed sh- it Amber's on fire yeah she has nailed it so I can't I get this neat this this why would you do one when you could have those little bits of everything yeah but you've met some amazing people that have some unbelievable collections and what I love yeah. is that actually your content as, as you were saying, it doesn't actually always resolve about you and your car. You can make brilliant content around others yeah. and other people's cars. And you've seen some amazing collections. What's been one that you just can't believe you've witnessed your eyes on? There's been a, been a few. There's been a few. Uh, let me think. I mean, I, I met a lovely guy called Kevin Johnson, who's 
whose car came, he didn't have like 40 cars. He had probably 15 cars, which is still a lot of cars. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush. But the way in which it, the garage was built into his house uh, and was very beautifully turned out. And every car was, he'd thought about it long and hard. He wanted to drive everything. So everything was on the button. And if it wasn't quite right, he ha he knew what parts he wanted to get fitted, sent them away and, and got it done. And he's a lovely bloke. And the, I meet a lot of good people. I think, And his wife was a massive car fanatic and she had two really lovely... Yeah. Knew it. Kevin, I knew yeah. It. I wanted to yeah. prove that I watched yeah. them. Well, yes. Welsh Kevin. He, again, so him and his wife, like really, really cool car choices, interesting people, no snobbery. Like, yes, he had a Carrera GT and he has a... Ferrari F50 and he has a, a bloody Mura but he was just as interested in if you turned up in Fiat 126 whatever it was so and I like the more I do this job the more I meet these people who have a very wide appreciation of a broad church of cars and that's sort of what I've always tried to strive with with the late, late break show it's that whole thing of like this world we're in this automotive world doesn't have to be tribal I mean, I know I, there's cars I don't like, there's cars you don't like. But at the same time, actually, it's nice to be able to go to a car show and the best car shows are where chap in the Mura turns up. But the guy in the Peugeot 106 rally parks next to him and next to that could be, I don't know, a uh, Morris Minor, Woody. And you haven't got it all registered. Like All the Porsche guys are over there and then all the hot hatch people are over there. And, and I, don't, I like it when it's all very inter, interwoven. And I think it's why, at Goodwood, the public car parks do so well. Yeah. And as many people go for walks around the public car parks as they actually do the show. Yeah. Because it's exactly what you just said. It's like you pick can, a mix, isn't it? I remember actually, not it wasn't Goodwood, but it, I went to the Formula One at Silverstone and where I parked up, in that one car park, there was a Carrera GT a new SF90 at the time. Yeah. But it was parked next to a GI Yaris. And I just come out and I went over and I looked around the GR first. So generally, I was not interested in the CGT. They've never interested me in the slightest yeah. at all. Yeah. I, I, they're ugly. I, I think, think they ugly. are. I think oh, they I, are. I really do. I'm going to get shot for this, Ben, because the Carrera GT I know is a weapon. And I, I'm old enough to, to have been there on the launch of it. Um, it claimed many um, people's driving licenses and talent. And lives? It's a, yeah, well, Paul Walker, I guess, yeah. So it's a frisky beast. It's an analogue beast. Uh, and I appreciate all that, but I do think it's a hell of an ugly car with a quite a disappointing interior. But I like that people like it. And I think that's what I do or I try and do for my job is when someone's really passionate about a, a car irrespective of whether I like it, whether I don't. It's almost like their passion is what I get off on, going, if it weren't for that person, like those, nobody would care about those cars. And, you know, I know a guy who, who, whose aim in life is to collect as many different Nissans and Datsuns as possible. And we're talking like every derivative, every single derivative. He has about 100 cars, I think. And he's obsessed with Nissans and Datsuns. That's, that's his groove. And I love that about him. It's just amazing. It's where, weird, but where, I like it. Where do you find all of this stuff? Because I'm a great believer in any business or content creation and people just think 
that it's this thing that people say and i don't think people see the actual real meaning and truth behind it that stuff at the minute literally only works if you find something that is different and is a gap in the market to exploit and fill and i think when i look at your channel the barn finds really stick out to me because that content just really isn't that available at anywhere and i've seen you go over to the states and do barn finds with did you do with freddie well he did one in the uk with me right but oh, I, that's I where need, it was but i need to do some american barn finds that's actually on my list of things i saw Johnny freddie next to the car and i put yeah. the two together yeah but where do you even begin to find something like that or do you not want to give your your skills away because it's it's so unique and different and there's an audience that loves it well thanks that they are my most successful videos barn finds they're timeless really so what's got nice about them is if you don't note if you come into the channel now you've got four years of barn finds to watch they're not time sensitive they're not you know they don't go out of date really um they're hard to film in one way because they're unpredictable and i don't I don't scope them out, recce them first. I like to keep it all, because I, I can't act for toffee. So I like to just not know until I'm there. The downside of that is you don't know the extent of the work you've got cut out or the damage of the car. or You have to do a lot of groundwork with the owners because sometimes it's a sensitive issue. They don't want you around. You have to win their trust over to, to walk up to their house or into their life with a camera. Sometimes there's a bereavement, you know, a real sensitive issue i i do a lot of I, I mean i looked for them a lot originally and and the and the the, the, in, the fascination for the barn finds and to, to put them on the channel came about because as a kid or as a young man they were always the ultimate things to do like if you could find the old the elderly person who still has the car in the garage that they've had since forever and they're thinking of getting rid of it or god forbid they pass away and another member of their family goes, look, we can't sell a car in the garage. You're into cars. Do you fancy uh, buying it or helping us get it going? For me, that is like, yeah, that's like, that's just sex, yeah. And there's still plenty of them out there. There are loads of them. There are more than I can film. And they are my currency. You know, if, if I could clone me, and we could be doing double the amount of barn fights and plenty love to. And, and I think... That's the for me. That's one of the most important USPs of my channel is the sort of the being the being the barn finding guy. But I didn't realise how popular they would be. I again, it's one of those things. I'm interested in it, and I thought I'll try and capture it because you only get one shot at barn finds. You only get to pull that car out once. Once it's out and it's cleaned, and the story's told, that's like it's done. But um. I want to do a bit of a Kevin McLeod and 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 do Grand Designs revisited and revisit the big barn finds and say here it is with a new owner i think i've just come up with the name of how i get a guest on the podcast again and do it road to success revisited i love that look that happened right here right now that name just popped into claim it so i'm claim it <laughs> no i'll let you have your claim, claim it. but have you ever have you ever filmed something that you thought would be excellent um a project um an interview anything and not put the video oh not put it out i think i have actually uh yeah i think we had an instance i'm trying to remember if i can say it or not we've had an instance where i interviewed someone and then they had a second thought about being on camera 
we had an instance where um, we were supposed to have access to to take a car on a certain journey, and and it and it basically all fell apart, um, and we couldn't take it on the journey, so the car wasn't interesting enough. Um, so I sort of aborted that. But the problem is with that is again, you know, like I only budget to film over the course of one day because I can't afford to pay a videographer for multiple days. And then obviously the more you shoot, the longer the edit. And obviously you've got travel and hotels and food. And, you know, this, this is what I say to people, you know, people go, oh, Johnny, why, why don't you spend longer doing that barn fight? Because if, if you'd done it a bit longer, you would have got the car going or we could have pulled it out and, and, and detailed it. And in an ideal world, yeah, I would. But at the end of the day, if I'm spending 1,500 quid producing a video t- for you to watch, I'm not charging you to watch it. Knew it'd be fifteen hundred quid. How did I know it'd be fifteen hundred quid a video? You know, so and the you know I've I've made the rod from my own back by trying to keep production values reasonably high and put it out so because of course people aren't just watching it on phones now they're watching it on big screens in their room in their bedrooms and their and their lounges and I think I want my archive I want my back catalogue of, of videos to sort of stand with time if I can um, and so I try and. I I try and keep the production values high, which comes at a cost to me, which means if I don't get the views, it doesn't pay off. And I've had videos that do not cover their costs. Absolutely. It is a roulette wheel. But equally, you know, that's why the, the, the importance of getting each video, I suppose, ideally sponsored. If every video is sponsored before it's gone out, then the the financial risk is taken away. And that's not always possible because the world's economy are all over the shop, you know. This brings me to a question that I actually forgot to ask earlier. It was in my head for a split second and then we went off on <laughs> talking about talking about cars. And then I thought a minute ago, I thought, God, we could talk about cars forever. We can. But you said when we're talking about Ferraris and affordability of cars. Yeah. I couldn't possibly see myself in that car. That's beyond the remit of what's possible. Yeah. To a lot of people listening to this, viewing in their minds, what they'll be thinking is, well, hang on a second. I've seen many YouTube channels of that kind of subscriber base. They put the numbers to it and that kind of conversion and all the rest of it. Yeah. And he's got so-and-so or so-and-so. And and he's like another, well, he's got a 720S and an M2 and this, that, the other. So hang on a second. Is this necessarily true? And then what that got me thinking was, hang on a second. Do I think that Johnny comes across so nice and so easy that do you think you've maximised the earning potential of your channel? No. I bloody hope not. I don't think I've maximised it because I don't think I... my Because I'm not a natural business person, um, I probably don't analyse and plot out the, the sort of... Uh, the feasibility or the maximum kind of... Uh, success do you feel awkward sometimes asking a brand for a certain amount of money as well yeah 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 i do and I, and in the past we've i've done a lot of that off my own back you know like tried to get sponsorship and have all those conversations about brands and like what you're worth and i now have a guy to do that for me to fight my corner because a i probably was never asking enough money and selling myself too short and i again i'm trying to be efficient with my time i'm trying to use my time to do what I do well and then the bits of the business that I know I'm terrible at farm them out and trust the people that I've farmed it out to um, 
so yeah there's there's definitely that and there's also you know you just said some youtubers and, and content creators they have worked out perhaps quicker than i have and better than i have that if they borrow money or they buy a certain vehicle on finance that that's part of their strategy i spent a hundred grand on a on a damaged whatever 911 gt3 and then i do the work on it and then i'll I'll have it and I can either sell it on or keep it and I've made money off the content of it so I can then that will pay the finance company that I've borrowed the money I do I wake up now and again probably once a month and I go okay shall I just shall I just shall I just buy something ludicrous on credit to just just spunk it out onto my channel and see what happens as an experiment as a fascination and I and I nearly do it and then I don't I'm quite old school. I don't borrow money for cars. I buy them. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't have expensive cars. My most expensive car is is probably the the Dodge. So, so what have you what have you got at the moment? Uh, I think I've got ten cars at the moment, which is a lot. Uh, and I don't really have a garage, which is a bit of a terrible idea. Um, so I've got the I've got my first car, the Beetle. I've got a Chevrolet Impala low rider, which next year will have been. You know, as a project for 20 years. Embarrassing. Uh, it's a great car, but I've still never driven it. Um, Dodge Charger. Uh, Austin Allegro Street Sleeper with the Civic Type R turbo engine. It's my most successful project. Uh, oh, Smart Brabus Roadster. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that's that's I've got a plan for that. Uh, Nissan Cedric Tokyo Taxi. On airbags, uh, Honda Insight Hybrid, which is my sort of daily driver. Honda Element, which is the sort of the the car, the Honda with more than two seats. Uh, what else have I got? Shit, I can't see. I'm really bad. I oh the Boxster, Boxster. There's another car. What is it? Dodge. I already said the Dodge. Did you? I said the two American cars. I don't think I've got more than two. See, this is the problem. It's bad, but, isn't it? As a as a consumer of your content, a viewer, and it's actually starts you start to get to know somebody so well before you actually physically shake hands for the first time or meet them. It's fascinating this world of YouTube, and you get someone say, "I know you so much better than what you know me," because yeah. because of the content, the hours of getting to know that person you consumed. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah, I would yeah. actually get more enjoyment on your channel rather than seeing you buy the great big ticket item like a gt3 rs or yeah whatever it is and spunk and see what happens you're the you're the type of creator that i would love to see with their own car environment like a building or a workshop and how you decorate it oh. and how you'd put that together and i can't help but think where we are with the farm barns and everything oh. you've got to make that happen man and that's that's the gut that would be amazing to see how you and your creativity could put a put those cars in somewhere that would even enhance the way they sit even more that's what i'd love to say that, that's more that's on my that's at the top of my whiteboard that's the bucket list it's it's, it's build build my car barn it's, god it's, you know it's, it's, it's exactly that. the geeky the geeky kid the slightly no, the slightly different it does it comes out through cars but it's absolutely brilliant and when you can enjoy it as a fellow petrol head sat opposite somebody this is what gets the gears ticking but we can't talk forever, and I've absolutely loved having you on the podcast. We've had a brilliant insight into actually who you are, how you built your channel, and done what many would love to. 
So thank you for agreeing to come on. You've been fantastic. And um, yeah, I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Well, thank you. Thank you. And and I really enjoy your, I, I, I really enjoy your interview process. It's, it's different. It's refreshing. Thank you. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.